You're listening to To Dine for the Podcast, the Shot Put Media production, presented by MasterCard. Start something priceless. What's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? My name is Kate Sullivan, and I am the host of To Dine For. I'm a journalist, a foodie, a traveler with an appetite for the stories of people who are hungry for more. Dreamers, visionaries, artists, those who hustle hard in the direction they love. I travel with them to their favorite restaurant to hear how they did it. This show is a toast to them and their American dream. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by Terlato Wine Group, Lavazza, and American National Insurance. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by Riazul Tequila, referred to as one of the best sipping tequilas on the market. It comes from the highlands of Jalisco, 7,200 feet above sea level. Riazul's agave has a higher sugar content, lending itself to a sweeter taste profile. If you are looking for a true sipping tequila with extraordinary depth after being aged two years in a cognac barrel, you'll have to try Riazul Tequila. Cheers, everyone. To Dine for the Podcast is brought to you by Lavazza. Four generations of the Lavazza family have been working to perfect the art of blending coffee since 1895 with a devotion to making coffee moments special. Signature blend Lavazza Classico with its intensely rich flavor and sweet aromatic notes is a celebration of the Italian way of life in every cup and is available any way you brew your coffee. To Dine for the Podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For, people who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American National's philosophy is helping where it's needed helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, visit americannational.com slash dine. Welcome to To Dine For The Podcast, where we meet the world's most creative and innovative minds at their favorite restaurant. On today's episode is Jean O. Wang. Purpose and partnership are intertwined, and it's the partners in your life who shape who you are in this world. And they're also the people that help you become the best version of yourself to make the most impact to others. That's Jean O. Wang. She is the founding CEO and current president of Virgin Unite, a nonprofit focused on reinventing businesses to have a positive impact on the world. Drawing on her many years of experience working with extraordinary business partners as they developed, she wrote the book Partnering. Using examples such as Ben and Jerry and Jimmy and Rosalind Carter, this book sheds light on building deep emotional connections in both our business and personal relationships through which we can become the best version of ourselves. Through her work with Virgin Unite and her book, Wang emphasizes the importance of changing the world for the better through meaningful connections. I can't wait for you to meet Jean Wang. Hi, Jean. How are you? Well, how are you? Excellent. Thanks so much for agreeing to be on To Dine For The Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I begin every podcast the same way. I ask the guest, 
where is their favorite restaurant? I really believe restaurants are the beginning of our story. It may be a nod to our culture, where we're from, or just what we love to eat. So if I asked you, if you could take me to one restaurant anywhere in the world, where would you take me and why? Yeah, thank you, Kate. And thank you also for doing this podcast. It's amazing. And I saw some uh, incredible friends over the years have gone on it, which is brilliant. And I would take you to Petersham Nurseries right outside of London. It's this amazing restaurant run by Gail and Francesco and their family that's set in a nursery. And it also has a shop next to it, which is eclectic things from all over the world. So it's this beautiful intersection of food, of nature and art. And Ooh. when you're there, you literally feel like you're sitting in someone's garden. Um, oh. and it's, it's just this, I always feel like it's this epicenter of beautiful connections mm -hmm. where people come and they spend the afternoon there. So that would be where I would take you for a restaurant. And then a second one that I had, um, because you're in Chicago, is one of my favorite places. It's not a restaurant, but one of the places that I remember some of my most meaningful meals was actually in a homeless shelter for young people in Chicago called Neon Street. And it was just these beautiful moments where the young people would come together, the volunteers, the staff, and we'd all cook meals together. And mm -hmm. those conversations and the love that was in those meals will stay with me forever. Okay. Two fabulous, fabulous ideas. Thank you so much for sharing. And it sounds like the first one is really more about the ambiance than the food. You feel transported to someone's garden and just the cool factor of being a part of that environment sounds absolutely amazing. And then your second choice sounds like the conversation almost more important than the food, the connection, which is why we are talking today. <laughs> it's all about connection. So really Great choices. I'd like to begin, you know, you have been in your current role for close to 20 years, and I want you to briefly explain all the forces and the things that happened in your life that led you to that job. Meaning, you know, without asking, how'd you get the job? <laughs> how'd you get the job, Jean? How did you get such a fabulous job? First of all, explain what your role is with Virgin Unite. Yeah, so thank you. I love my job. I get up every day and love my work. And the role that I have currently is the founding CEO and trustee of Virgin Unite. We are this kind of little entrepreneurial engine that really focuses on how we turn upside down unacceptable issues and systems. So we're like the foundation for the Branson family and the Virgin Group. Mm -hmm. And um, the journey that's taken me here, I, I started out actually in the US in telecommunications. And then I kind of pivoted and that, that uh, meal that I just talked about, I became a VISTA volunteer in America, working with homeless youth and also with refugees in Center City, Chicago. And I think, Kate, that was probably one of the biggest turning points for me because I realized just how broken our systems were that we were letting, you know, 13, 14 year olds live on the streets. And it was, it was not one sector, it was government, not for profit and business. So I became really passionate about how do you change the way those sectors work together. And then my journey kind of took me on a path where I worked on setting up mobile phone companies all over the world. So places like Colombia, South Africa, Singapore. And then I landed in Australia and I worked there. I pivoted again. So what I would call a disruptive detour. Mm -hmm. I worked for the National Parks and Wildlife Service and then got a call from Virgin to come and help them set up a mobile phone company. And I happened to actually hear my boss, Richard, 
Branson in the car saying he wanted to do more philanthropically. So I, mm. at the time, was co-CEO of his mobile phone company in Australia. So I went home, put together a plan. And that was kind of the beginning of the next pivot, which was starting Virgin Unite some 18 years ago now. Wow. First of all, what an amazing journey. And the one takeaway that I heard immediately that I want to share with the listeners, so often we talk about listening, but I think we could all become better listeners. And I really think, you know, you're uh, obviously you, you're, you overhearing Richard talk about a need and motive and something he wants to do was key because if you didn't listen carefully to what he was saying and then have the inspiration to come up with a vision and present a plan, none of this would be. So kudos to you. But I think that's just like an amazing lesson for anyone listening. So tell me about that moment. Tell me about going home and drafting that and then presenting it to Richard. What was that experience like? And what do you think it was that got the green light? Yeah, and I think your point, Kate, on listening is so important. I think it's an underrated skill that people have. And even like when I worked in that homeless shelter, I think listening to those young people was the biggest education and the best education I've ever had in my life. Mm -hmm. So I think anywhere we go, listening is so important and underrated in today's world right now. But that moment, I remember I was driving with him in a car. I overheard him talking uh, about wanting to do more philanthropic setup. But he wasn't talking to you. He was talking to somebody else. I was eavesdropping, which was a bit naughty, but I was eavesdropping (laughs) on his conversation and um because I was in the back of the car he was in the front of the car on the phone and so I went home and I talked to one of my amazing board members this chap named Gordon McCullum and I said hey I'm so passionate about this intersection of business not for profit and government and this is just sounds like an amazing opportunity so he was a great mentor and encouraged me he said put together a plan so I literally went home wrote a plan for the next few days sent it to Richard because he was on my board at the time. And then he literally set up a call the next week. And I remember sitting in my um, house in Roselle in Australia on the call, we talked through the ideas that were in the plan, what it could be like, what we could do to make an impact in the world. And I remember Kate hanging up the phone and I was so excited that I just literally danced around the house. I was just (laughs) with my dream. And uh, so I couldn't wait. And so I I found a replacement. And then, uh, you know, about six months later, I, I moved to London. Wow, what a story. You know, there's that quote, be the change you wish to see in the world. And very few of us have an opportunity to so distinctly own that quote and to do something like what your work involves at Virgin Unite, like you did. And so how fortuitous that all of your background up until that moment and your work had led to like the perfect moment to to bring that and the connection and relationship with Richard to bring that to him. I mean, it was all those forces had to happen to get to that moment, but wow. Yeah, and I guess an important lesson for me at the moment and that, that moment too, and for all of us is Richard's belief and willing to take risk because he trusted me and, you know, let me start this thing and grow it. And I've seen him do that again and again. And just a good lesson for all of us around that ability to believe in people and really help push them forward. Absolutely. And obviously he knew that you could execute his vision. And that was and that was key. So his his belief, his trust in you, which I know we're going to talk about, which is key to your book. Your book is called Partnering, Forge the Deep Connections That Make Great Things Happen. And it is a fascinating one. Uh, my program to dine for is about 
interviewing visionary creatives at their favorite restaurant. And in a very small microcosm way, my job is to travel with them to their favorite restaurant, but then partner to hear their story of creation and the visceral experience of making what they've done come to life through their favorite meal. And so I was really, really fascinated and excited to dig into this book. I want you to begin, if you don't mind, by talking about the creation of the elders, because I feel like so many of the lessons in the book actually stem from this one experience that you had at the very beginning of your journey with Virgin Unite. Give people an overview of what The Elders is and how it came to be. Yeah, and Kate, also just thanks for interviewing Sarah Blakely, because Sarah actually was another person that Richard put belief in in the early years when she was just starting Spanx. And so we've had the great honor of working with her for many years. So The Elders uh, was an idea that Peter Gabriel and Richard Branson had, and they took it to Mandela, And the idea was, how do you get together this extraordinary group of leaders like Mandela, Archbishop Tutu, Kofi Annan, to really look at how they could work behind the scenes to really fight for human rights and peace in the world. And uh, so when we were starting this, some, gosh, it was now 18 years ago, Mm -hmm. we had this great idea that we were going to bring together loads of people from different sectors, business, not-for-profit, government, frontline leaders, And so for some crazy reason, we decided to do like three of these gatherings back to back in three weeks. And I'll never forget, I literally spent, I think, three months perfecting this PowerPoint presentation to present to this group. And I remember getting to, um, it was the sessions were on Necker Island, and I remember getting there and sitting with Richard and Peter the night before. And they said to me, no PowerPoint presentations, rip it up. (laughs) And I was like, oh, my God, this is this is like my worst nightmare. So <laughs> you better be ready to wing it. <laughs> Standing in front of all my heroes and with a flip chart, which is what yes. ended up happening the next morning. Wow. We stayed up all night making flip charts. And I remember being in this room and we had um, we had some of the elders. So we had President Carter, Archbishop Tutu, a whole bunch of others plus some of the greatest business leaders of our time in the room and philanthropists. And I remember Kate standing in this room on the cement floor in my bare feet and actually using this flip chart. And President Carter, who again was one of my heroes, was sitting right in front of me and his piercing blue eyes were just staring at me. And I thought, oh, my God, he loves this idea. This Mm -hmm. must be something he can't wait to do. And when I finished, he stood up and he said, I don't believe in this idea. Oh, I don't think it's going to work. I literally never in my life have wanted so badly just to melt into the <laughs> cement. And uh, and I looked at the back of the room and there were P- Peter and Richard just with their mouths open, their heads like sunken. It was just and we scurried Peter and Richard and I scurried into Richard's office and. I've never before since seen them so silent. Mm. And uh, we sat there and we thought, oh, my God, this idea that we believe in has just been blown up. And then because we had such belief in the idea and in each other, we kind of pulled ourselves together and we said, "Okay, let's go out and spend the next few weeks co-creating with all the people in the room. Let's put aside our PowerPoint, all of our plans. And so we picked ourselves up and for the next two weeks, we literally sat in groups with all of these folks, tearing up the original idea and co-creating something magical. Mm. And I can tell you that idea that came out of those sessions was so much better. And so it was such an important lesson of co-creation, but I'll never forget when Carter retired from the elders when he was in his nineties, he stood up and he said it was one of the most important things he did in his life. 
Wow. That must have made you feel good. And I believe it's co-creation. We'll have more on this conversation in just a minute. But first, thank you to our sponsor. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by American National offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters. It seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you, so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. American National agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm, or your life, you can count on your local American national agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. With American national, you get an ally, not just a web page. For a description of the American national companies, the products they write in the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com slash dine. To Dine for the Podcast is brought to you by Riazul Tequila referred to as one of the best sipping tequilas on the market. It comes from the highlands of Jalisco, 7,200 feet above sea level. Riazul's agave has a higher sugar content, lending itself to a sweeter taste profile. If you are looking for a true sipping tequila with extraordinary depth after being aged two years in a cognac barrel, you'll have to try Riazul tequila. Cheers, everyone. Now back to our conversation. One of the things that you talk about in the book is to not be afraid of conflict. And I feel like the elders is a great illustration of that. But can you dive into that a little bit more? Because I think in business and in life, most people are afraid of conflict. Why do you find value in it? Yeah. And this is a really important one. It's something that I think all of us have to learn. And in the book, we ended up calling it Celebrate Friction. And what was beautiful is I went through this process of interviewing 65 of some of the best partnerships and collaborations of our time. And I can remember, Kate, when I was first starting the interviews, I remember everyone saying to me, you have to find the fights, the arguments, the friction. Mm -hmm. So literally when I first started these interviews, I really tried to dig in and find that. And um, something beautiful happened when I did this because it wasn't that they were void of friction. It was that they had created these tools to lift above the drama so that they could focus on something bigger. Mm-hmm. And every one of the partnerships had different tools, but tools to do that. And some of them were things like positive amnesia. Like I knew 
that some of these folks, because I'd worked with some of them, had friction. And I, when I was digging in, you could see them protecting each other and not wanting to go backwards and talk about that negative. And it was so beautiful, Kate, because one of the things I noticed right away is that none of these partnerships undermined each other with a word or with their body language. Like Ben and Jerry, you could just feel the love they had for one another in the room. And they had created this beautiful tool called Veto Power, where if they saw they were getting in an argument when they were starting Ben and Jerry's, they would each have a chance to have veto power where they could say, this is too important to me, we need to stop. And then they they agreed they would stop. And so they had this kind of almost mechanism to deflate any type of disagreement or argument that was going to potentially hurt their friendship. Mm, that is great. You know, as as sort of a woman in America today, I feel like, uh, you know, I'm in my mid 40s. And I feel like I was raised to avoid conflict. As I get older, one of the great gifts of getting older is I really realize the strength of anger as a superpower, because an anger often indicates what you care about. You know, instead of seeing anger as, oh, God, she's angry, you know, your blood pressure is going up, all of the negative things that go with being angry. It's not necessarily seeing it in myself, but seeing it in the world. When I see someone who's angry, you see opportunity for change and an opportunity to make something better. And I feel like that's at the heart of what you're saying with celebrate friction, right? Because that is a, a spark for something better. Absolutely. And I think I think we have to get angry right now. I think there's so many issues that demand our anger for mm-hmm. the next generation, the generations to come. And, you know, you're right. I think in these partnerships, what you saw is that because it always came from a place of good intention and they knew that they could hold that space and have those really difficult discussions and also create safe spaces for those disagreements. But they always knew that by coming together and almost starting that discussion with what if the other person is right? And why are they coming from that place? They always knew that they'd get to a third way that was even better. And I feel like in today's world, we're so divided right now. We don't hold that space of respect and trust. Mm. And I think you're spot on about women. You know, I grew up thinking that I had to have the right answer all the time. Mm -hmm. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't lose my temper or have a discussion about something difficult. I always had to come in positive and the right answer. And I think that starts with females from a young age, I remember my very first well-intentioned boss, you know, years ago, giving me two books. The, the first one was The Art of War, mm. How to Survive in Corporate America. And then the second one, just in case I didn't make it, was Joy of Cooking. <laughs> <laughs> two great books, but on completely different. That's hilarious. <laughs> and, you know, we start by putting women in these boxes. And, you know, that yeah. set me on a path that I was going to break every glass ceiling that I could to prove that I didn't need weapons of mass destruction <laughs> or learn to cook to be a success. And uh, so it's sends you the wrong message, you know, and I think I think that is with women. We, you know, we we need to create that space that it's OK to have difficult discussions, no matter what gender you matter or no matter who you are. When you are beginning a partnership or you're, you're looking to start a partnership, you talk about trust as numero uno, you know, when, when it comes to the beginning. How do you foster trust and what advice can you offer to people to foster trust in in business and in life? Yeah, I think trust came up in every single one of the 65 interviews as the first most important thing, but it was quickly twinned with respect, Mm. was the other virtue. They were almost like sisters um, because it was hard to have trust without that respect. 
And this was something that I really struggled with, you know, something that I had to learn how to build in my relationships. And I think there's a few things. One is what I just mentioned of, you know, really always creating that space of realizing that someone's coming from a place of good intention and creating that safe space. Like Airbnb created something that I just loved, which they called elephants, dead fish and vomit, which I never thought I would say those three words together. Um, (laughs) Elephants, dead fish and vomit. Vomit. Okay, please explain. Okay, so this was a space that they created where once a week their teams got together and they were able to, in a really safe space, talk about the elephants in the room that no one was talking about. Talk about the dead fish that everyone knew that were sitting there, but they were never resolving. And then talk about the, or just what they said, vomit, just get the vomit out of something that you needed to say in that minute. And you just needed to have a chance to vocalize it. And that said, they talked a lot about how that build trust amongst them because they had these safe spaces. And I think the other thing we saw in companies that really was um, important was really being very transparent and clear and having very kind of clear guidelines of responsibilities of deliverables so that people weren't on top of each other trying to compete with one another. And making hard conversations the norm was again, one of the reasons why I think Airbnb did that. But I think the other couple things is to really watch your body language. You know, again, like any movement or moment or like a kind of a rolling of the eye is something that destroys trust right away. And you see people do that so many times. Mm -hmm. And then I think the last thing is just learning to trust yourself, because if you don't trust yourself, you're not going to be able to trust anyone else. And so really working on that to figure out how you can trust yourself and your own intuitions as well. So you spoke of of the Airbnb partnership, which is fascinating. You talk about it in the book. And one of the things you mention is just how they were able, those three co-founders were able to create an environment that lacked competition, meaning people weren't out for each other's jobs. They were competing with themselves. That is really hard to do. How do you think they did that? And what would you pass along to people who do want to create an environment that is more collaborative than competitive. Yeah, and they they were beautiful in this because they, Joe, Nathan, and Brian, they all started from like building their whole entire company on a base of trust. So it was woven throughout their values, throughout their charter. And, you know, who would have believed in the very beginning that you would welcome people into your own homes? Right. No one would have. Right. But they put all these mechanisms in place, like photographs, like the ability for people to rate each other. Mm -hmm. So there was a constant checkpoint in place. And and they they talked a lot about, too, these safe spaces, like the one I mentioned, but also, you know, coming together and opening their door to, the staff to come in and have honest conversations. They got together every single night as a partnership, the three of them, and had dinner and had those open, honest conversations. So they kind of built it in at every step of the way. But they were also, I think one of the beautiful things that they did is they weren't afraid to make mistakes and allow trust to be broken, but then to fix it. And they did that. You know, Brian wrote a beautiful letter at the front of the pandemic when it was first kicking off. No one knew what was happening. And so they immediately reimbursed guests rather than going through their hosts. And the hosts, of course, were furious. 
And Brian wrote this beautiful letter to the host acknowledging that they had done something wrong and they had broken trust in their relationship. And they put together a fund to help support the host. And so for me, that beautiful thing was they realized they weren't perfect and no one is perfect. We're all going to have breaches of trust. But Derek and Beverly Jobert had these beautiful words where they say, when you break your trust, it's almost like building, putting a log on the fire of trust when you have that open conversation about the breach and about why it happened. Um, and then you build more and more and more trust as you go. You know, as you survey partnerships, because I'm sure you have worked with some partnerships that didn't work out or that were negative, right? We, you, we learn the most from, from the situations that don't work out. What would you say is the number one or two reasons why partnerships don't work and how can people ameliorate that situation? Yeah, I mean, I think we all have relationships that don't work. There's every <laughs> single one a person listening. Uh, there's no one that doesn't. And I think it's also figuring out that, that spectrum of um, hard work that you want to put into relationships. Where do you put that on that spectrum? Because you'll have some acquaintances in life, but you'll have some people that you really want to be, build deep connections. And sometimes it's you don't you shouldn't pursue a relationship because it doesn't. It's not going to make you the best version of yourself. And we spent a lot of time talking to psychologists and um, talking to folks out there about what breaks partnerships. And the number one thing was lack of shared meaning. That was number one mm. at the top of the list. And quite quickly after that was lack of shared values mm. as well. Which is similar, which is very similar. similar. Lack of shared meaning and lack of shared values. But you know what? This is extremely helpful, Jean, because... How many times I think of myself, I think of one, something's coming right to mind. Do we, at the very beginning of an interaction, we feel our, our gut tells us, you know what, we're not on quite on the same page, but maybe I can get them there, right? And you can, and they're telling you that they don't care about what you care about. They're, they're very explicit. And yet somehow we're selective hearing that, right? That should be a number one red flag if we're going to make a, a successful partnership. If we're not on the same page, we're in for some trouble. Yeah. And you, you know, what's beautiful is like, I never, you, I always thought of purpose as kind of a solo journey. You know, people talk about finding your purpose and, but going through this process for the last 15 years, what was really clear to me is that purpose and partnership are intertwined and it's the partners in your life who shape who you are in this world. And they're also the people that help you become the best version of yourself to make the most impact to others. So in the beginning of a partnership, if you don't have that shared meaning and sense of purpose, and it doesn't mean that you have to have the same purpose, right. but it means that the other person has to have respect for your purpose and your dreams. And if you don't see that from the beginning, that's a massive red flag. I'm forgetting the analogy, and I know you can fill me in, to not think about partnership, think like Legos. What, what was the, the idea of thinking like Legos as opposed to you fill in the blank? I thought it was a beautiful way of kind of explaining what you just said. Yeah, and this was amazing because again, what was so, so surprising to me is that some of the best partnerships were the people that were radically different when they mm -hmm. came together. They called it this electric current of difference. And Richard Reed is the one that had this beautiful analogy where he said, you don't want to be like a jigsaw where jigsaw. you're all the same. You want to be like a Lego where you're building on difference and creating these extraordinary things and these great things in the world. And you can't do that if you're all the same because you don't have this ability to build on that difference. And he has, he has an amazing business called Innocent Drinks that he started with three friends. Um, that's again, grew, grew from strength to strength and they sold it. And now they have an investment company, but 
people ask him all the time, isn't it strange to do business with friends? And he would say back to them, isn't it strange not to do business with friends? Mm. We're three friends who are radically different, who know the skill sets of each other and have really thrived because of that and coming together. Oh, that's good. Because so often they say, don't go into business with people that you're friends, it'll ruin a friendship, right? But if, if trust is paramount, who would you trust more than your friends, right? So it is a really interesting uh, dichotomy. And I'm sure, it, you know, it depends on the person as to what, what's going to be the most effective. I'm curious, before you started writing this book, was there a moment? Was there a partnership? What was it that you said, this is the book that I am destined to write? Meaning, did you have an experience in a boardroom where you're like, wow, I brought this partnership together. I think that this might be my gift to the world to share what I've learned on partnership because you then had to go in and do all this research to create the book, but it had to have come from an intrinsic knowing that you had a talent for this. Yeah, I don't think it was so much that I had a talent for it. I think it was something I had to learn. And it was something when I started it, it was something that I couldn't not do. And I remember watching the, the moment where I decided I was going to do this was watching the elders and just watching the deep connections that they had in their lives, whether it was with each other or with their romantic partners, with other partners, with their families or others that they did business with. And thinking, wow, my God, because it was like this epiphany that I put these people on pedestals and thought that they'd done it all on their own. And it was this epiphany that they'd become who they were because of their relationships. Mm. And so for me at that time, I was far away from that because I had been in corporate America fighting to break those glass ceilings. And I ended up out of that feeling really alone. And mm -hmm. so for me, it was this moment of, wow, you know, I need to learn this. I need to figure it out. So in the beginning, it was a journey of learning. And I started interviewing them. And then it was literally, to be honest, Kate, in the beginning, it was gonna be a, a book about 10 romantic partnerships. And then I interviewed Ben and Jerry. And it blew everything out of the water because the common patterns were common, no matter whether it was romantic, business, friends, family. And I think we do ourselves a disservice as human beings because we put relationships in boxes. What I found through this is the patterns were the same about how to build fundamentally great relationships. And so as I started to get into it, I felt like I, I couldn't not share this wisdom with the rest of the world because it changed my life so profoundly. I think about, you know, when I first started to dine for, I was going to make the show about uh, entrepreneurs and business execs. And what I really, after doing a couple of them, Howard Schultz, et cetera, and I realized that there's real creativity in business. And what if the through line could be creativity, meaning whether they're an author, whether they're an artist, what have they brought to life? Because when you bring to life a business, it's the same tenets as to bringing to life a book or bringing to life a character if you're an actor. And so there is that common through line. So it's really interesting. Did you think about a book back at the elders or where was there, when did you make the switch to, you were conscious about writing this all down? I thought I thought about a book then at that first moment about you did. a coffee table book of just okay. 10 partnerships and just celebrating these great partnerships like Archbishop Tutu and Leah and President Carter and Rosalind. So at that and Grasa Madiba. And so it was that at that stage. And then when I got into the interviews, I'm a little bit of a data geek. So I was coding all the thousands of pages of transcripts and just seeing these patterns pop up and driving my husband crazy because we plastered all the walls with all these patterns. And when I saw those, I was like, wow, this is something deeper. And it's something I, I also, as I started to interview collaborations like the community that protected the ozone layer, I realized how important these deep connections are, not just for a meaningful life, but for the moment in history we're in 
in right now where we have to collaborate at a scale we can't even begin to imagine. And at the center of every one of these great human achievements, whether it was ending apartheid, protecting the ozone layer, or ending smallpox in India, were these deep connections, these groups of friends. And that's how we were successful as humanity, by these deep connections at the very center of these great human achievements. You know, you were living it along with writing it, right? Because that is your work with Virgin Unite. But what surprised you the most? Or what personally did you really lead into and learn from your writings as you studied and as you did all the pattern recognition on the walls? Yeah, I mean, tons of things surprised me. Again, my poor my poor husband, I'd come home each day and be like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry that I'm doing that. And I need to, I know I need to change this. So I had lots of those kind of aha moments. But I think the thing that surprised me the most was this idea of this intersection of purpose and partnering. And I hadn't, before I started, I knew I was going to select folks who had made a difference in the world, but I never realized how core it was to firstly, the success of their partnership, but then secondly, their ability to make great things happen in the world. And these larger collaborations that I interviewed, finding those friendships at the core was something that was a massive epiphany for me that I don't think I had expected. And as you said, as I was writing this and doing the research, we were also building things like the elders or a group of business leaders called the B team. And so I was seeing this live in action too of these friends coming together to do great things. Not everyone has the access to resources or the access to power that really is at the heart of Virgin Unite, right? Like that's what fuels it, that's what makes it happen. But I think what people will really take away and enjoy from this book is the idea that there are people in the world who are sitting in rooms imagining a better world and then trying to make it happen. Like when you sit with that knowledge of what you're doing, it has to be in a way overwhelming. I think it's it's interesting. I think for me, it gives me hope. And like people like the ozone community who were extraordinary individuals, but they were everyday citizens, gives me hope that we can come together. And I think Kate, some of the most beautiful interviews were people that people don't know or they've never heard of, like um, Anthony Ray Hinton, who was incarcerated incorrectly in a five by eight foot cell in Alabama on the death row. And his life was saved by an amazing lawyer, Brian Stevenson, mm-hmm. um, who fought for him for 15 years. And if you meet Ray today, he is one of the most extraordinary human beings you ever want to meet. And he has committed his life to fighting to end the death penalty. And his partnership was Brian, but it was also Lester, his best friend since childhood, who you know visited him every single week while he was in prison. And so to me, it's actually these citizens that are doing great stuff. Like the folks who actually ended smallpox in India was a group of extraordinary citizens, doctors that came together with a group of Indian leaders that end business leaders and government that ended smallpox in India. So for me, when I sit and look at it, I get so excited about those everyday heroes that are working often unnoticed on the front lines. And because we celebrate so much of the trauma in the world right now and the division, rather than celebrating those heroes, we don't hear about them. Like, I love that you um, interviewed Layla Jenna. You know, she, her work was amazing. You know, she did so much in her short life. Um, And all of those folks show us that anyone, and you know, Buckminster Fuller, the wonderful writer and scientist had this beautiful thing that he invented called a trim tab 
which was a little tiny rudder on the end of a large rudder on a, on a massive ship that could turn the ship. And he liked to talk about how every single one of us as human beings are those trim tabs. And just by movement, just by doing things and stepping up for the and standing up against the unacceptable, we can we can shift this where we are in the world today. Yeah, everyday people really can make a difference. And I love that really at the heart of your book and in so many ways is making the impossible possible through small actionable steps and really giving people a blueprint for how to come together and work positively to change the world. It, even as I'm saying this, it seems so like pie in the sky. Like it seems so, it's such a beautiful concept, but it's actually real and actually happening. And that's what I loved so much about your book. Yeah, and it does sound Pollyannish sometimes yes. when you say it. Yeah. But if you look at the people who said it and who changed the world, like Sherwood Rowland and Mario Molina, those two scientists in 1974, if they hadn't stood up and said CFCs were destroying the ozone layer against everything, people fought and yelled at them for ten for a decade. But if they hadn't done that, we wouldn't be able to go outside today. Wow. So I think it's time to be a little Pollyannish and to dream <laughs> and to and to realize that we can do things. You know, I think we've been so smashed into thinking that life should be all about drama and life should be all about winning at all costs, that we've forgotten that we have this power if we come together and collaborate to really drive positive change in the world. And we're seeing it all over the place. We're just not celebrating it. Jean, I've enjoyed this conversation so much. Thank you so much for your time and your talent. Everyone should read the book, Partnering. It was wonderful, really. Thank you, Kate. Thanks so much. And thanks for what you do. Just lovely, lovely, the podcast and the series. Thanks for listening to To Dine For The Podcast. For more information on the show, the guests, and the podcast, head to todinefortv.com. You can find us on Instagram at todinefortv and Facebook at todinefor with Kate Sullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of To Dine For The Podcast, American National, Lavazza, and Terlato Wine Group. Special thank you to producer and sound editor John Golner. To the loyal followers of this program, cheers, stay hungry, and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.